I notice we missed an important word up there. And that word is is. The kingdom of God is the fulfillment of this day. This holy Sabbath day. I like the word is. Some people don't understand is, is. But I think that God does. And He has made it very plain in His Word who He is and what His kingdom is. The kingdom of God is also fulfilled in His holy days as His plan is drawn out and given the perfection that we see in those holy days, and especially as we see the Feast of Tabernacles and the last great day. The kingdom of God is also unfolding in our, those who are being called. It is unfolding in our lives as we see the importance of living and staying in that way. In Romans, the 14th chapter, verse 17, I'm going to read it from here and not turn to it as soon as uh, Brian gets it up. For the kingdom of God is, for the kingdom of God is, and it's interesting that the, there's, a, there's some contrasts here. And we'll talk a little bit about that here in a second, but I want to read it. The kingdom of God is not, to begin with, meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So you could say the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, and you can say the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. When Paul was giving these instructions to the Romans, just like today, the Romans were also burdened with various physical minutiae. <laughs> like, it's hard to, you know, the, that's the way it is in, in today's society. There were those that had a certain way of looking at things, and there were others that had a certain way of looking at things. And by the way, Paul was not talking against the law of God. He was not saying it was all right to go to the unclean. It was not all right to eat whatever you wanted to eat. And as some ministers have now in, decided to interpret the Bible, that Paul said it was all right, to be a homosexual. Those are lies. The Bible and Paul does not say that. Paul was very specific in trying to help them <laughs> over this hump of being so caught up in the physical things. Let's look at that here in Romans, the 14th chapter. As you'll see, what he's really talking about is those that wanted to eat, meat and those that wanted to be vegetarians. Verse chapter 14, 
Him that is weak in the faith, receive you, but not to doubtful disputations. In other words, questionable opinions. For one believes that he may eat all things, another is weak and eats herbs. Let out him that eats despise him that eats not, and let not him which eats not judge him that eats, for God has received him. You know, maybe there's some here that would, uh, you know, prefer to, to be more vegetarian. Well, that's fine. There's nothing in the Bible that says that you can't do that. There's also uh, some uh, indication in here about drinking. In some churches, they shun alcohol altogether. That would be fine, except I do believe that we should take it on the Passover, and that God shows that in his word. In verse 10, but why do you judge your brother? Why do you set at nothing your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Brethren, that's where it all comes down to. On the physical plane, on the physical things that we have, on the physical side of things, we work that out based on our understanding and our um, grasp of God's holy word. We teach God's holy word from the Old Testament and the New Testament try to help you to understand all that comes out of the word of God. But one day, we'll all have to go before the judgment seat of Christ. No matter who, everyone, all who have ever lived will come before that seat and they will have to confess for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So no matter what the physical things that we have in this life, what those come down to are just <laughs> physical things. What's more important is the spiritual things that God is working out in our life. The more important things are the righteousness, the peace, and the joy that Paul talks about here in verse 14. No, actually, verse 17. Sorry about that. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he that in these things serves Christ as acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. We understand there are, from the Bible, there are two realms. There are the spiritual realm and there's the physical realm. Now all of us are very familiar with this. <laughs> of the physical realm. And the only understanding that we have about the spiritual realm is what we see in the Bible and what God is doing in each individual's life. How he's directing them. How he's guiding them. How he's instructing them in his righteousness. In John, the fourth chapter, Jesus made this profound statement. As he was talking to this lady... He said this. 
John, the fourth chapter, and beginning in verse 23. But the hour comes, and now is, when the true worshipers, that's you and I, the true worshipers, shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. The Father is looking for specific individuals, those he's calling. And when he calls you, he expects us to worship him in spirit and in truth. And the only truth we have is the word of God. The spirit is what get, comes from God and dwells in us. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The Bible is very specific about our relationship to God because of how he has touched our lives. In 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, these are all very familiar, leading up to some thoughts on the three points that I have today on righteousness, peace, and joy. In 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, we understand these are basic scriptures, basic understanding, but it's very important that we, we, we understand them because they, they, they help us to understand the physical versus the spiritual. Verse 11, For what man knows the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? And it's very interesting that I'm not sure that if we lost that spirit of man that we wouldn't be just like Nebuchadnezzar and be in that <laughs> out there in the wilderness in the grass eating grass. God took that away from him. And he was like an animal. But the spirit of man God has given us to reason, to understand, to comprehend the physical things. These are very basic. This is very basic. Even so, the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. With the Spirit of God and, the, and, that, and that Spirit of man, they come together and they make a new creature, a new creation. We can understand spiritual things. In the physical realm, God gave some instructions. And he said that if we would be obedient to the, uh, to, the, to the Israelites in Leviticus, the 26th chapter, we would receive some blessings, physical blessings on this earth. Even in the physical kingdom, blessings were given for righteousness, for keeping God's law. Here's what he says in Leviticus, the 26th. You shall make no idols nor graven images, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary, I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will do this. These were physical things. But God respected them because if they would walk in his statutes, walk in his judgments, walk in his commandments, he would take care of them. 
It says, I will give you rain in due season. The land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield her fruit. This is a, a kingdom thing. This is what God wanted to shower out upon his people, Israel. He wanted to give them the blessings for worshiping him, for serving him, for being guided by his commandments and his truth. Your threshing shall reach to the vintage, your vintage shall reach to the sowing time, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. I will give peace in the land. You shall lie down and none shall make you afraid. I will rid evil beasts out of the land, neither shall the sword go through your land. You shall chase your enemies and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred. A hundred of you shall put down uh, 10,000 to flight and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. For I will have respect to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and establish my covenant with you. And you shall eat old store and bring forth the old because of the new. I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. What God had in mind for the nation of Israel was that they would look to him totally and completely for everything that they needed, even to the point of if they had an enemy that come after him, they would pray to God and he would take care of that enemy. Remember Gideon. <laughs> he had a lot of soldiers, but it come down to 300. God was able to wipe them out with very few. There are incidents where God took care of them without even them going out, <laughs> wiping out whole armies without even having to go to battle. God told Israel that he would, do his, he would fight their battles for them if they would obey him. A powerful message to them. It's interesting, I found another book. I wanted to share a little bit out of this because one of the things that um, is kind of interesting is the book of Judges. And Leon Wood, um, he's a, he studies the Old Testament. And, you know, you can glean a few things out of this. And I thought this particular area where he was asking, what was the rationale for the book of Judges? Why you know, though that period of time when there was essentially no king and then only when the, there was a situation that needed to come up that a judge was res, raised up to handle that situation. God was in charge. And he makes a pretty interesting point, and it's called Distressing Days of the Judges. It's by Leon Wood, and he says, Identification of the theocratic form of government. How do you know that the theocratic form of government? In other words, God over it all. A description of the form of government may be worded succinctly. It is that form in which God is a supreme ruler. God is a supreme ruler. It is not a democracy in which the people rule. It is not a monarchy in which an earthly king rules. It is a theocracy in which God rules. God, existent in the infinite realm of heaven, is the sole supreme head. For this reason, it is the highest form of government possible 
and also the most pleasing to God. It is the most pleasing to God when he rules over his creation. Later in Israel's history, when the monarch, uh, monarchical form of government had been instituted, a type of theocracy still existed. At least this was, uh, monarchy was intended to function by God. Even with earthly rulers occupying Israel's throne, God desired to the, be the head ruler. The human king was to act only at his discretion. This never really transpired, and if you remember, God warned. God warned them that if you took on a king, he would take your sons, he would, you know, he would conscript them, he would do many things that God didn't need to do to take care of you, to protect you. The human king was, the act, uh, was to act only at his discretion, in other words, at his direction, at God's direction. This never really transpired, however, because the kings, being sinful persons, were not willing to serve in this manner. They did not choose to follow God's dictates. The nearest approximation came with King David. He followed in the plan of God well in comparison with other kings, and because he did, God was pleased to prosper his rule. David, however, also fell short of all that God saw as ideal. Here is the ideal kingdom of God. But even if a monarchical form of, of rule had accomplished all that God desired, it still would not have been what God wanted most for Israel. It would not have been a true theocracy, for this form of government knows no earthly king at all. There are no uh, ministers of state, no court, no parliament, no congress. God himself is ruler. He employs no earthly representatives through whom to work. He expects people to look to him for leadership, to render obedience to him. In this way, God has made the center of interest of people, the focal point of their lives, the highest object of their attention. It was this former rule that God desired and planned for Israel as the 12 tribes came to dwell in the promised land of Canaan. Can you see the spiritual um, connection? Can you see the spiritual connection for those who are called? That's what God wants for you and I. That's what he wants for us. There are, going back to Romans, that 14th chapter there, there those three points. The kingdom of God is righteousness. The kingdom of God is peace. And the kingdom of God is joy. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, we find that this is a different situation than what Israel had. Today, God is preparing a spiritual people, a spiritual Israel, if you, if you will. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, we are told that we come not before that mountain, but we come before the very throne of God. He says, But you are not come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable... You are, you are come to the Mount Zion. You are come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable company of angels. That's where we come. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, 
which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator, mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood a sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. He says, See that you refuse not him that speaks. For if they escape not who refused him that spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he is promised, saying, Yet once more shall I shake not earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, uh, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence, godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. In Psalms 119, we have, on verse 172, we have the definition of righteousness. It's very plain, very open, and it cannot be, cannot be denied. My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. All your commandments are righteousness. We can put it all down. The kingdom of God is the commandments of God, the law of God, the truth of God. The kingdom of God. In Galatians, the fifth chapter, we see something that we see very, very often, but I, I want to focus on something quite interesting, which is the righteousness that isn't from the Spirit. If I can find Galatians again. <laughs> we have above, and you open your Bible, you look in there, and you see all of the human frailty and sin and ugliness that Paul talks about. Because those are the works of the flesh. Those are unrighteousness. That's not what God is looking for for his kingdom. Those are not going to be in the kingdom because it says, such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. All of those things, the wrath, the strife, the seditions, the heresies, envies, you know, adultery, all of that, lasciviousness, all of that, that's not going to be what or who is going to inherit the kingdom of God? What is going to inherit the kingdom of God are those that have the fruit of the Spirit. And of that, if you look, righteousness is these fruits of the Spirit. The sinfulness is the unrighteousness of the flesh. So when we look at the fruits of the Spirit, we look at righteousness. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. That is righteousness. You are living and breathing and doing the will of God and keeping His commandments. 
That is the righteousness. It says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Remember that said in 1 Corinthians that there is two realms. That spirit of man, and in Romans, the 8th chapter, it says that the carnal mind is, is an enemy to God. But with the spirit there, we're, we become the sons of God. And we are to emulate Christ. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. In 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Second Corinthians 5. And I think I'm going the wrong way. I know I am. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5 and verses 17 through 21. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit is given. You become a new creature. You can become a new creation in, in Christ and in God. And, and, and that they dwell in you and guide you and lead you. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Did you know that? Each of us are ambassadors who walk on this earth, as we heard in the first message. <laughs> you know, if we show forth unrighteousness, how can you be an ambassador for Christ? How can you be a good ambassador for Christ if you are not living and walking in that way. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God, for he has made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. For he has made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made righteousness of God in him. Understanding that we have weaknesses, brethren, we are physical human beings and need the Spirit of God. In Hebrews, the sixth chapter, Hebrews, the sixth chapter, verses one through six, he says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God the doctrine of baptisms and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. 
That's why it's so important to keep your eye on, on God, to keep your eye on His Word, to keep Him in your heart, and to understand His Holy Word. And never, never, ever turn away from God. Never turn away from His holiness and the Spirit that dwells within you. In Psalm 23, we find the same thing, which is very interesting. In Psalm 23, a beautiful psalm that is there, but we find righteousness and how that is a part of our, our life. If there weren't so many, I could find it. There it is. I might just read those first few verses there. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Daily, He's restoring our soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. What, for our own sake? No, for His name's sake, that He might be glorified. Not that we should glory, but that He will be glorified. Because we make it into His kingdom, we become His sons. That is a glory to Him. He has brought us through this. <laughs> when we come before God, what, what's He going to He's going to look down and He's going to say, Boy, I am sure glad you made it. So I had, to, I had to reach down and I had to shake you here. And I had to reach down and I had to shake you here. I had to hit you on the head a couple of times because you were running in the opposite direction. You were going where you shouldn't have gone. And we'll see that here in a minute. I've got one of the scripture to read in that particular vein. For his name's sake, he leads us in the paths of his commandments, his statutes and his judgments. His holy days, his Sabbath, all of those are important to God. And that's why he leads us in those ways. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, back to Hebrews. Peace is so important, and yet we live in a... <laughs> my life that I have seen in this society, there, it is increasingly less peaceful. It is more disturbing that we see in the society around us, and it's, it's getting worse. In verse 6, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chastens not? But if you be without chastisement, wherewithal, uh, whereof all, all are partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Now sometimes when you just open the book and read, it, it chastens you because you realize you weren't doing what you were supposed to be doing. You realize you haven't been following God like you should have. He might not have to spank you, but he does... He does point you in the right direction. He says, but if you be without chastisement, let's see. Uh, he says, uh, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. 
If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons, for what son is uh, he whom the father chases not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof or all are partakers, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. Furthermore, we have fathers of our flesh which correct, corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be, sub, uh, be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Um, my reverence to my father was uh, downright fear, but <laughs> that, was, uh, uh, that was kind of modified a little bit. Uh, after I got a little older, uh, it was more uh, a deep respect for him as my father. And I know that God wants to teach us and, and, and guide us and lead us, and sometimes he does have to chasten us to bring us back to the right, into the right direction. For they verily for, one, uh, for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening of the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields something. It yields something very important. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. See how those go together? The peaceable fruit of righteousness to them that are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. In John, the 14th chapter, we find that Jesus says he left us with something very wonderful. John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Have you got the peace of Jesus in your heart, in your life? Not as the world gives you, I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know, if we turn to God, we turn to His, His Word, and we turn to, to, to them, He can quiet that troubled life and bring peace even in troubling times. In Romans the 8th chapter, just one verse, I alluded to it earlier, but Romans the 8th chapter in just one verse, verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. In other words, that mind that, that, that's enmity against God eventually would end up in death, eternal death. That's what it's talking about. If we reject God eventually, that, that life will no longer exist. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace, eternal peace, forever and ever. Philip, uh, Philip, <laughs> Philippians, I'll get it out yet. Philippians, the fourth chapter, seven through nine. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, when we keep close to God, that peace does uh, really surround us and we become very quiet and comfortable in our, in our life. 
if we ignore God and we ignore his, uh, his word and we go back into the sinful things of this world, you know, then we become very anxious. Um, and so we want to be close to God. We want to have that peace. And we want to be kept by Christ. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You know, sometimes in the world we are forced to think upon the, the most bizarre, the most filthy things because it's always in the news. <laughs> we have some of the most... I guess I shouldn't even bring that up. <laughs> I, I'm sorry for even thinking it on this message of, of hope and peace and, and joy. And I'm, <clears throat> but I, I, I think everybody understands what kind of news we've been hearing lately and how bad it is. And sometimes it's hard to get around it because if you are trying to search for truth, you get, you get thrown in your face those things that, uh, that are out there. He says, those things which we have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. The God of peace shall be with you. Romans, the 16th chapter. I found this one after I had already finished my message. But boy, is this one ever one of the best ones in this about peace. Romans 16 and verse 20. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Wow, I love that one. The God of peace shall crush him, bruise him under your feet. And he'll be no more. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And that leads to joy, John the 15th chapter. Because we, with that, we can be very joyous that someday that being will be locked up, taken care of, no longer to foment the kind of things that go on in this world. The horror and the terrible things that he is the one that does it. John 15, and just one verse, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments. And let's see. That's, that's the one. Oh, yeah. Uh, I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Jesus wants our joy, our happiness, to be full, to be overjoyed, to rejoice at what God has planned, what Christ has planned for the kingdom of God. First Peter. Well, if I get past the ones I'm supposed to get past to. First Peter, the first chapter, and verses 7 through 9. He says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold. So when you come into those trials, 
that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found to praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, in whom through, though now you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. That kind of trials and tribulations in our life, and we look to Christ's return and the kingdom of God set upon this earth, the receiving of that faith that we had, that confidence that we had, to the time in which our souls are saved in the kingdom of God. It is the outcome that we look forward to. Sometimes that's a rocky road, sometimes it's difficult. But we look forward to that day. During the feasts, we are commanded to do something very important. And I think sometimes we, we just kind of take it for granted because we, if we've taken the, you know, gone to the feast many years, we don't realize how important this is because God commands this. In, Je- in, in Deuteronomy, the 12th chapter, Deuteronomy 12 and verse 6, he says, uh, and there you, let's, let me verse, let me, um, I'm just trying to see if I want to write, read a couple verses before or not. Now let's just begin in verse 6. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and heave offerings of your hands and your vows and your freewill offerings and the firstlings of your herds and your flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all that you put your hands to, you and your households wherein your Lord your God has blessed you. You shall rejoice. You shall have joy at God's feast. It's interesting that it is a spiritual joy for us. They, they had the physical bounty, at least while they were obeying God, they did, in Deuteronomy, the 16th chapter, to reinforce that a little bit here. In verse 13, You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days after you have gathered in your corn and your wine, and you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your maidservant, your your maidservant, manservant, your maidservant, and the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow that are inside your gates. Seven days you shall keep a solemn feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord shall choose, because the Lord God shall bless you in all your increase and all the works of your hands. Therefore you shall surely rejoice. If they were to rejoice over the physical things that God was giving them, how much more should we rejoice over the spiritual understanding and the truth and the understanding of the kingdom of God that is coming to this earth? And how much more should we rejoice when we come before God in those times in, in the year. I mean, we should rejoice all, but especially at those holy days that he has called us before his presence. We should be there to rejoice and give God the honor and the blessings that he's given to us in our lives. So we're focusing on 
the things that we can do to have more, have the righteousness, the peace, and the joy in our lives. And sometimes we, um, we struggle to think about what we should pray about. And several years ago, I think it was Ron and I, we found a, a um, it was at one of the bookstores, I think it was the Baptist bookstore, but they called it then. And it was uh, the um, Believer's Life System, and I think it was produced by the Baptists at the time. But out of there was a page, actually I think it was two pages at the time, and I copied it as one page. And it was taken from Creating a Vocabulary of Praise by Bob Hosteller in copyright 1999. And it's interesting that this page is saying, putting God at the center of all you do. Putting God at the center of all you do. What it is, is a 31-day um, prayer, praise, whatever, however you want to look at it, for your spiritual life. Every day has something special out of the Bible that you can pray about. Day one, God the Creator. Creator God, I praise you because you made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. That comes right out of Nehemiah, the ninth chapter, verse 6. Today being the third day, the Almighty God. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you, you are mighty, O Lord. I praise you, Psalms 89, verse 8. I won't read all of these because there's 31 of them so that you could have 31 days in which you could honor God and you could bring Him into your life and you could put God as the center of your life. A long-suffering and preserving God. Father, in verse uh, day 10, Father, I praise you because you are patient with all your children, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 Thank you for your Patience with me. Amen, brethren. I'm so thankful that God is patient with me. A provider God. I praise you today, Lord, as my Jehovah Jireh, who will generously provide all I need. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Day 22, a forgiving God. I want to bless you with my praise, Father, because you are a forgiving God, gracious, compassionate, Slow to anger and abounding in love. Nehemiah 9.17 And here's one that all of us should, should take to heart. A faithful God. I praise you because your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Great is your faithfulness. Psalm 36.5, Lamentations 3.23 Now I've put some of these over on the table for those of you who would like to have it and might help you in your prayer life and in, in your own, uh, uh, maybe even in your own Bible study. If you just picked up one of those and, and started searching the Bible, you would, <laughs> they, would, they would take you to many different places. Each one of those has some, some potential to, to give you a, a strength in the kingdom to come. Back to Romans, the 14th chapter. The kingdom of God is not the physical things. You know, Jesus even said the physical is, you know, is going to perish. Only the Spirit is going to, to continue on. So if we put all of our hope into this physical world, if that's all that we have, 
then we're not going to have anything because the, the physical things are going to perish someday. They're not going to, to last. Only those spiritual things, those spiritual things, the kingdom of God is righteousness. The kingdom of God is peace. And brethren, the kingdom of God is joy. Rejoice that the kingdom of God is going to be coming on this earth.